This is the word of the Lord. There is an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under heaven, a time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to avoid embracing, a time to search and a time to count as lost, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. All right, well, good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to Sound City Bible Church. My name is Chris uh, Rich. I'm the lead pastor at Mercy Fellowship uh, in Marysville, Washington. And, and while your pastor, Aaron Gray, is on uh, sabbatical, um, he said, hey, Chris, I want you to come and preach the last Sunday before I come back so that my church is ready for me to come back. Um, and so that's uh, why I'm here today. Um, and uh, it's just a joy to get to gather with you guys. And, and I love um, that you guys kind of did the offering uh, before um, I came up. I think that was just wise to be like, hey, we don't know what this guy's going to say. So if you want to be generous here, that's awesome. And got to meet uh, Dale earlier this morning. And, and I love that you have a financial accountability team. Jesus had one treasurer and it didn't go well. Uh, it was just Judas. And so it's awesome that you guys have a team there. They told me I've got 35 minutes. So that's all the jokes you get. Uh, I normally go 50. So um, that's no more funny stuff. We're just going to get right into it. Um, you guys here at Sound City are continuing a series that I'm really excited about called Seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. And last week, uh, Pastor Steve uh, was up here and, and he was talking about how to kind of see that in like the life of Joseph. And, and that's awesome. And so um, what I think is so important is that if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, who love God and love people, then you need to know what does the Bible teach? And not just instruction for life, but what is the story it's telling about the universe and your life individually, and then how do you fit within it? And so um, in Luke chapter 24, after Jesus had been uh, crucified... After he'd be de dead and buried in the tomb, there was some disciples that were on the road to Emmaus, and, and they were distraught, they were despondent, their entire life had fallen apart because they committed years of their lives to following Jesus, and now the oppressive government and the religious people had gotten together and crucified Jesus. And their entire life was in crisis, and they were despondent, and their hearts were broken, and they're on this road, and they don't even know where it goes. And then they're, they're met by Jesus, but they don't know it's Jesus yet, if you know the story. And so they're walking along, and Jesus acts like, um, like if somebody had come out of a coma after the last 18 months, and was like, what, what are y'all doing there with the, the things on your face? Like, what's, what's going on? Like, well, I, I don't know what's happened the last 18 months. Like, Jesus kind of plays dumb. And they're like, don't you know what's happened? The world has ended. They crucified our Lord. And so for them, for these despondent disciples, it was like all of the angst and pain and grief and lack of hope and despairing that maybe you've experienced in some way, shape, or form in 2020 and 2021 is all put into one day. And now they're walking with Jesus. And they're like, we have no idea what's going on. This, is, this just seems like chaos. And, and, and Jesus kind of says to them, well, well, didn't you know that like the Savior was supposed to suffer? 
Didn't you know that, that there was going to be some difficult challenges on the road before we get to, to final peace? And didn't you know as well that, that yes, he's going to suffer, but he's also going to, to rise and he's going to live and he's going to rule and he's going to reign? Like, didn't you know that? And they're like, no, I hadn't, hadn't heard that part. He's like, I taught you for three years. You weren't listening. And so Jesus in Luke 24, 27 just starts to do this Bible study. And the Bible study he does is the series you're in right now which is finding Jesus in all of the Old Testament. And it says that he started with Moses and the prophets, that's shorthand for we as Christians call the Old Testament. And it says that he tells these disciples all things concerning himself. So Jesus taught a Bible study to his disciples in a time of despair. And what's interesting is he doesn't tell them about the future ruling reigning kingdom, and that's that's good news, and that's in the Old Testament too. He's just saying, let's let's just walk through the Old Testament here and, and, and be reminded of the promises of God. And so today, our church, we're in a series in Ecclesiastes. And so we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. I'm not going to be able to cover the whole book, so I'm just going to stay in kind of this portion of it. But as you turn your Bibles there, I think sometimes when we're thinking of Jesus in the Old Testament, we're like, yeah, I think I can see Jesus in the Old Testament. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in, in Daniel, right? Like they go into the lion's den, and it says there was a fourth person there. Like, ooh, shadow Jesus in the flames. Cool. Right? Or, or, or like, oh, Jonah, three days in the belly of the fish. Got it. Jesus in the tomb, three days. We got it. And then we come to a book like Ecclesiastes, and you're like, help me. Come on. Ecclesiastes? Like, like if you've ever read this book, like, it is darker than it is outside right now. Like, it is depressing. And it keeps using this word uh, that we translate as vanity, as vanities, and, and we, 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 th- we get so vain we think this sermon is about us, Right? And, and, and so, sorry, you get one extra joke. Okay. And so, um, so with that, though, the word actually translates to vapor. And it's the idea of, like, I can kind of see that there's something here, but, like, the mist in the morning, it fades, and I can't grab a hold of it. And it uses these phrases as well, like, under the sun. And it gets very pessimistic under the sun. And we'll talk about that in a minute. And so before we get to Ecclesiastes 3, like a little bit of background, who, who wrote Ecclesiastes? Um, uh, I believe that the teaching of church history would say that in verse 1 it says, son of David, king in Jerusalem. I believe this is Solomon. And Solomon is at the end of his ministry and he wants to pass off some wisdom at the end of his leadership to, to the next generation, to how to navigate the world. And Solomon's a guy that had way more opportunities to experiment with the things of this world that we think will give us pleasure and joy than anyone else. And his conclusion to all of that is with prosperity, with pleasure, with purpose, with all of those things under the sun, meaning apart from God, he found them to be vanity, to be vapor, to be something he couldn't Hold on to. And so the word Ecclesiastes actually translates to the preacher. And so the book is really a long, depressing sermon. Some of you all will relate to that in about 20 minutes, right? Um, and it's a long, depressing sermon, but it asks and wrestles real questions. And that's what I love about Ecclesiastes is it doesn't paint a sunny picture of everything's going to be okay. It says, hey, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be challenging. And so um, it, it asks real questions, and it's, it's really an apologetic, if you will, for the logical conclusions of a secular worldview, a worldview apart from God. And so if you're trying to find Jesus in Ecclesiastes, you're going to have to look a little deeper because there are questions asked in Ecclesiastes that don't resolve neatly in the text. 
You have to have a broader view and range of the Bible if you're going to see it there. Because this book is not a destination, but it's supposed to be part of a journey on our road that leads us to Jesus, that leads us to the cross, yes, but also leads us to resurrection, and a road that ultimately leads us to eternity with a new heavens and a new earth where there's no more sin, suffering, or tears, or masks. Sorry, I'm from the north part of Snohomish County. We're practically Texas up there, okay? Um, and so this is hard for me. I was like, okay, anyway, sorry. Uh, y'all aren't gonna welcome me back. You're gonna have to pull up uh, like an old video for the next series, uh, next sermon. Okay, here we go. Because God is the source of all meaning. Because God is the source of all purpose. When we hear vanity of vanities and all is meaningless, we say no. Because there is a God in heaven. Because there is a God above the sun. It doesn't mean that nothing matters, but it actually means that everything matters. And that includes the times, circumstances, and seasons we find ourselves in. See, history and current events and the future all matter to God. And so that helps us address and ask, I believe, an ever-pressing question that becomes more and more relevant to us each and every week. And that question is this. What the heck is going on? Right? Any of you ask that? Anybody, anybody just watch the news and like, really? That's a thing now? No, nobody, everybody's been totally cool with the last 18 months. I was like, I, I don't know. I thought everything was terrible before. This is so fantastic. This is great. Okay. No, we need to find some hope. And if you heard those verses as we began, um, that Jenny read for us, um, they might sound familiar to some of you, and maybe this is generational, but in the 60s, uh, there was a folk group called The Birds. And they wrote a song called Turn, 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 right? For every season, turn, turn, turn. That's all the singing I'll do. That's why they didn't ask me to do that when I came here, right? And so maybe you know, for, for me, I got introduced to it at, at Forrest Gump, and already I'm like, that's even an old reference. That movie's like almost you know, 30 years old now, right? But it captures this sense of seasons and of circumstances and how we process meaning in it. And so if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And I know we had the scripture reading, but I'm going to break this up into four quick sections. And we're going to read it and we're going to talk about it, starting with verse 1. Ecclesiastes 1 says this. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Okay, so there is a God who is intentional. And so as, as you come in today, I want you to ask yourself, what is your worldview? Like, what is it that helps shape your view of the world? Uh, what philosophy do you look at? Is, is it karma, right? You know, I just kind of want to put out some good vibes and, and make sure that that comes back. Is it a very deterministic fate? Like, doesn't matter what I do because, you know, it's all going to be fate in the end. And, and something that's very popular here in the Northwest and, and in the West in general is this idea of just the universe, right? I'm, I'm bebopping along. I'm living my life. But, but the universe oversees all things. And so what happens with that is when you think about the force of the universe is the characteristics of that are cold and random. And that means that your existence and your life experiences are just kind of a cosmic accident. And if that's the case, well, 
then, then nothing you do really matters and everything's going to be kind of random and, and chaotic, right? Uh, human existence, natural phenomenon. There, there isn't an intentional designer. So like, hey, I don't know, maybe there's, maybe there's an earthquake next by the end of, uh, of 2021. Maybe that's the next thing to come up, right? You know, if you can think way, way back, we were scared of murder hornets for about a week, right? You know, so like, uh, I don't know, what's going to happen? Uh, it's all just random. And so that means that if you're doing really well, you can't even really enjoy it because you know, well, maybe I just won life's lottery or if things are going well, because the universe is chaotic, I am one crazy thing from happening away from it all falling down. And then if things aren't going well, there isn't a real and lasting hope. And so if our hope is in the universe that is cold and random, random is angst-producing, and fear-inducing. Random is angst-producing and fear-inducing. And so that would mean that life under the sun would, would just be meaningless. Like, why, why are we even here? I mean, there's a lot of other things you could have done here on Sunday morning than gather here. And so as we look at world events and life events, we begin to see patterns and cycles and seasons. And it's not always clear, um, but, but there does seem to be a little more uh, intentionality, Right? And so I want us to rest and to know that there is a God who is intentional. And that's okay, like, like we, can, we can start there, but intentionality is only good if the intentions are good. So if you're a student of world history of the last hundred years, right, the 20th century, that, that is a history of world governments being incredibly, incredibly intentional about being incredibly horrible to their people and to other nations. And so you're like, cool, looks like y'all have a plan. I like it, but you got a plan. See, we have a God who's not just intentional, but who's also good. So we need to remember and rest in the character of God, the nature of God. That Yes, evil can have a plan for destruction and division and death, but God is not just intentional. His intentions are unquestionably good. So as we look at the next couple verses here, two through eight, and we see this, this awesome poem that's been given to us, what I don't want us to see is the fact that there's seasons and structures to be some sort of prison but rather, I want us uh, to see, um, not pessimistically that God is bad, but an opportunity for hope in the character of God, that there's even design in the midst of the difficulty, that he has the power to bring death from life and hope from despair. All right, let's keep going. Verses two through eight. Man, I'm gonna, my back's going to like go out on this. This is Aaron's height, and that is like not good for me. I'm starting to bend over on the pulpit here. So Aaron's shorter than me. That's really the only advantage I have over him. Okay. Ecclesiastes 3, 2 through 8. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. You're like, see, social distancing. Get with it up there. Okay, it's there. Guys, 2020 right there. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war. And a time for peace. 
So now, now maybe it's ringing a bell, right? You've heard the song, right? And this is about seasons. And, and this, this poem shows us the comprehensive nature of times and seasons and cycles of life. That that God who created all things, that there are different seasons. That there are different circumstances that matter. And the beginning of verse 2, if you're like a Bible note taker, is the umbrella that all of the rest of the seasons fall under. Time for your birth and time for your death, right? Two days that you're never going to be late to in your entire life, right? The day of your birth and the day of your death. And like within that is the fullness of life experience that this, this poem breaks down into kind of 14 different parts, so kind of two groups of seven. Seven's a number of completion uh, in the Bible. And, and, and with that, there's even kind of individual seasons. There are corporate seasons. There's just a lot to, if you want to study this deeper, um, but there, there is just this, this idea in Psalm 139 that each of our days are numbered by God, right? Solomon's dad was David. He knows the Psalms. And so as he's writing this poem, he wants to get the realistic nature about the life experience that we have and, and how do we feel and how do we see uh, how to process life. And so undoubtedly, as we, you can almost break up the list of that poem from like good things and bad things, but undoubtedly we have all participated in things on the good side of the list and we've participated or experienced things on the bad side of the list. And so seasons are challenging, right? Verse 10 that we'll look at here uh, later tells us that God has given us this business. And if you look earlier in Ecclesiastes, it'll say that our work is to be purposeful and fruitful. And so these experiences all matter to God. But they help us to understand the, the range of emotions that we might feel, right? A time for weeping and a time for laughing. And you're like, I don't know. I think I just want the laughter time. Like the weeping time, I don't want that one. I want, to, I want to move into that season as quickly as possible. And then even publicly, a time to mourn and a time to, to dance, a time to celebrate. And so all of us, as we have the, the box checked on the negative side of the column, all just kind of want to see things move over to the other side. So we'll do whatever it takes to, to make that happen or try to force that happen. But, but within this structure, he's saying, no, no, there's a time and a season for everything, even the brokenness. Even the sadness, even the war, even the death. And so we go through, through cycles and seasons of gathering, right? Where, where maybe you're in a, a time of, of building up, right? You're, you're getting ready to go to school. You're getting ready to, to pour into a relationship. Maybe you're going to get married. You're getting ready for kids. Maybe you're, you're like, okay, we're about to have our first kid. You know, we've got a condo here in Edmonds. We need a, more space. And that's when you move to Marysville, Right? Because you can afford it. A guy came up to me and he goes, you're my next pastor because you said that last time that, you know, I'm going to move to Marysville. Like, guys, I don't even know if you're going to be able to afford Marysville soon. Maybe we're all going to Montana real soon. I don't know. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. You're like, no, Montana's terrible. Okay, moving on. We go through these seasons, right? And you're building up and you're building a business. And, and some of you, like, I, I don't know how you came in this morning, but maybe some of you are in a season where you served and you loved Martha Lake Baptist Church for years and years and years. And, and a year or two ago, when you guys kind of decided to merge with Sound City, for the Sound City people, you're like, yes, we're no longer homeless. And for the Martha Lake people, there was mourning. Because that thing that they've been a part of is, is now different. And then, yes, out of that, like, what's happened here is beautiful. There's birth out of that. 
But let's just not pretend that every season is perfectly delineated because within this room, some of you might have cancer and some of you might be pregnant. We're all going through different seasons, all at the same time. And so some of us, as we're in these seasons of building up and filling our homes, right, eventually you're in that season of handing off and passing off. And so what that means for us practically, right, is like as you're, as you're filling your home and you're doing all these things that like, like uh, let me put it this way. Everything that you have is, is going to end up, excuse, being passed on. So that means on that, that two-hour target trip that you just did yesterday, that was going to be like just supposed to be grabbing a couple things, and you come home, and, and, and somebody in your family is like, why, why, the, uh, why, why the pumpkin soap pump? And you're like, because it's fall. You know, and it's like, because there's season, it's the new season, we need the pumpkin one, we have pineapple in the summer. Guys, that's going to be in your estate sale. And somebody's going to be like, I can buy the pumpkin another. Oh, 50 cents, okay, great. You're like, I paid $10. Because those are the seasons. Those are the cycles, right? We're all going to be handing off. And so I want you to ask yourself, which season am I in now? You want to, like, what season am I in now? And as you ask yourself that, my hope is this, that you don't really know, that it's not actually as easy to determine as you think. And here's why. Three reasons why seasons are challenging to discern. Number one, seasons are not always self-evident. Seasons are not always perfectly delineated and segmented. You know, like, well, no, I'm just in the season of laughter. Everything is awesome. This is great. No, like I said, seasons are complex. So maybe, maybe in the last two years, your life's been going great. But we've been part of a national and international story that has not been. And so, again, seasons are complex. And so uh, different seasons can be happening at the same time to different people. And so you don't get to choose the time of weeping and mourning. You don't get to choose the time of laughter. Anybody ever, like, planned a vacation? You're like, this is going to be a time that is amazing. And then you remember that you have six kids. And Disneyland, the lines are long. And churros at Costco are $1.50, but at Disneyland, they're five bucks. Real talk, guys. Real talk. And you're like, we planned fun, but... And then have you ever been through a season of darkness where just friendship and joy has met you in an amazing way that you didn't plan for? See, the seasons aren't perfectly delineated. We've got to to keep things moving. Number two, different seasons are necessary. And you're like, necessary? Why could there ever be anything necessary about a season of tearing down? Guys, what's demo day? Anyone? I mean, y'all probably did demo day here. This, This joint looks nice. Right? You know, ever done a home remodel? There's demo day. That's a season of tearing down. Sometimes there's systems and structures in place that aren't working anymore. And they have to be torn down and built back up. And so, right, these are all things that happen. You're like, well, what about war? Well, hey, sometimes when evil's on the march, it needs to be thwarted. Well, you're like, I just want to be quiet and kind of go about my life. Sometimes there's injustices that are happening and you need to speak up. And so there's always going to be times where even the brokenness is necessary to lead to real peace. Wait, a time to hate? Yeah, if you're a Christian, at a certain point, you better have a place of humility where you hate your sin. And then a time to know how loved you are in Jesus Christ who lived the life you couldn't live, who died the death you deserve and rose again so that you would not be defined by your sin but by his righteousness. 
there's good news even in the midst of these seasons. Number three, seasons are meant to be experienced and embraced, not just endured or avoided. Like we said, we don't get to determine the seasons we're in always because we would always just pick the, the good side of the column. No, we need to navigate them. And so we, I love how we, we can sometimes over-spiritualize seasons in the church. And you're just like, I'm in a season of joy right now. And you're like, really? I, I'm, maybe you are, and, and, that's, and that's awesome. Um, but, I mean, you don't get to pick what season you're in. And so we all come in on Sunday. And how's everybody on Sunday? Everybody on Sunday? Fine! Don't ask me a follow-up, right? Because we, we want to try to pretend we're in a season we're not. Y'all, don't pretend it's summer out there, right? You go walking around in a tank top and your sandals and your socks, like you're just going to look ridiculous because it's fall now. Go ahead and put on a sweater. Go ahead and warm up. Like, don't pretend things are awesome when they're not. So if you're in a season of grief, grieve. If you're frustrated and broken about the things in the world, that is okay because you're not supposed to be satisfied with this world, guys. There's never actually going to be a season where you're so just dialed in and excited about everything happening in the world because this is not our forever home. So live and experience the seasons that you're in. And rather than just trying to, to pray away a season, like that, that is an okay prayer. Okay, I don't, want to, I don't want to heap on condemnation on you in any way, shape, or form. It's okay if you're in a season that is difficult, or a season of tension, or a season that is unbearable. To say, God, can you move? God, can you show up? God, can you move seasons? Pray that prayer, yes and amen. But also pray, God, what do you want me to know in this season? Because I will tell you, seasons of growth happen through adversity, not when things are awesome. My wife and I got to go to Hawaii for like 10 days on our 10-year wedding anniversary, which is now like almost six years ago. I mean, I, I grew on that vacation, but just like on the waistline. But over the spring, I was getting ready for a triathlon, and, and I grew through a different adversity. God is doing and working in your life through those seasons of adversities in ways that you don't always know and comprehend. And so when you find yourself in a season or period of time you don't like or understand, ask God, what are you trying to teach me? And maybe you're like, okay, well, what season are we in right now? And and I'm not your full-time pastor, so I don't want to be too declarative. And so I kind of also want to just maybe put myself over here on the opinion stage. Because I think it gets really wonky when pastors are like, this is the season we're in right now. You know, like, hey, Jesus is going to come back tomorrow. Like, maybe. I think it's really clear that we are in a season of division. Fair? Maybe even a season of tearing apart. Maybe a season of conflict. And that can be difficult. Except we have this poem here that says, when there's seasons of tearing apart, it means that there's a time coming where there's a sowing and amending. And things are brought back together for God's purposes and in God's timing. And so that means that no matter how difficult the season we find ourselves in, we can still have hope that it's not over yet. Get into more than that in a minute. It'll keep going. Okay, number three, or part three, uh, verses nine through 13. These verses kind of begin to be a commentary uh, of Solomon on the poem he just wrote. So if he's preaching it, he's, written the, he's read the poem to the people, and now he's gonna give his commentary on the poem he just read. Verses nine through 13, here we go. What gain has the worker from his toil? 
I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Hold on to that. Also, he's put eternity into man's heart yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. And so more than hope, we are actually given promises that there's a God who is working in the midst of all seasons. So when we're like, I don't know what's happening, we can rest a minute and say, but I know God is working. And so as Jesus is on that road with the disciples, and they're talking about all these seasons here in Ecclesiastes, he's like, yeah, there was a time for death, and that happened three days ago. This is a time for resurrection, and it's happened. And so he's saying, hey, you know, you can rest that even when I was in the tomb, I was never off the throne. And so God is still ruling and reigning over all circumstances. And so we're given life as a gift to experience and to enjoy. But our lives are never meant to be self-sufficient. And so if you know more about Ecclesiastes, the first few chapters are these experiments, like we said, that Solomon was trying to find meaning and purpose in the midst of of pleasure, uh, in the midst of prosperity, in the midst of all these different things, and it came up empty. And, and And he says that under the sun, which means divorced from God, is different than under heaven, which means there's a God who rules and reigns over all things. See, chapter three, he's talking under heaven. So he's saying there's a light that shines into the darkness. And so our great hope in all seasons and cycles is verse 11. You can look at your Bibles again. Where's the good news? He has made everything beautiful in its time. What does that tell you? It tells you if the time you're in isn't beautiful, the time for it hasn't come yet. Because God makes everything beautiful in its time. It's a statement when we look at the the bad halves of the cycles and the seasons and the negatives, and we're like, where is the hope? The hope is in the sovereignty of God. Not only is he intentional, not only is he good, but he is powerful. And he's making, and he will make all things beautiful in his time. So we can have hope in these cycles. And so that means that if, if when things get terrible and things get difficult, and guys, I get discouraged all the time. And what's that nasty phrase that, that some of us have been saying for the last 18 months, the new normal? That means if you don't like the new normal, it's okay. Because God makes everything beautiful in its time. We can pray in these seasons, that if the new normal sucks and you don't want it to be normal anymore, you want better, that you can be encouraged when something looks terrible because it means it's not done yet. There's hope in the New Testament in Christ. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that for those who love God, all things um, work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Ecclesiastes is a book about purpose and a book about meaning. And this just breaks down very simply. God works all things for good for those who are loved and called. We find that love and call in our identity in Christ, not in the circumstances we find around us. And so I think it's important for us to not confuse our present moment with his story. Because our moment's this small, and his story is eternity. And so when we think about the life and the circumstances that we find ourselves in, It's like if you're watching a movie 
and you're trying to determine if you like a movie from one frame. Like, I don't know if I like this story. Right? You know, you, you watch one frame from the opening scene of Saving Private Ryan. It's not a good movie. Well, no, because it has a story arc that ends with salvation and redemption. And so if you're trying to determine whether God's good or not, and you're looking at your life circumstances right now, you need to know in the scope of eternity, it's smaller than even a movie scene. See, God's story is bigger. And we'll exhaust ourselves trying to turn winter into spring or summer rather than realizing that we're called to endure these seasons. And so um, the preacher is saying about his poem that this section is not about the seasons you're going to experience, but about the God who's over all the seasons. And so he says, hey, I put eternity into your hearts. That means that as we're trying to find satisfaction in that which is temporary, we are always going to be unsatisfied. Because we are meant to want more than we can experience today. And part of how he's put eternity into our hearts, he says, hey, you're not going to get to understand the whole story. Like at any given moment, think about it for, for just a second. There's what, 7 billion people in the world? Each one of them has their own individual story. They then have family stories, community stories, national stories. They all know, we are talking billions upon billions upon billions of stories all happening at once. And God knows all of them. And he's involved in all of them. He's saying, part of your exhaustion, part of my exhaustion, is I'm trying to understand everything. What the heck is going on in the world right now? And I'm not meant to know. And you're not meant to understand everything that's happening all the time. We get exhausted. It's a whole other sermon. Gosh, we'll leave that alone. The early church father in um, Africa named Augustine said it this way in terms of where we find our satisfaction. He says, you have made us for yourselves. Our hearts are restless until they can find their rest in you or in him. And so when God has put eternity into our hearts, we need comfort now. Because we're made to desire more than what is directly in front of us. And so, what we have been given, as we're trying to see Jesus in the Old Testament, is we can spend some time not trying to scour every you know, thread on Twitter and every news story that's out there trying to find meaning, trying to find hope, trying to find purpose. What we can do is we can, we can scour this. And we've been given, actually, an amazing picture of a story that's far bigger than us, but is, but is absolutely important for you. And that is a God who is good, who's created all things. And then sin and brokenness has entered the world, giving us an answer to the question of what the heck is going on? There is suffering, there is sin, there is brokenness. And a lot of the Old Testament is just cycles of brokenness, cycles of drawing away from God, and, and, and God still pursuing, and God remaining faithful. And then it culminates in the New Testament when, when Jesus arrives onto the scene as God's son who has lived the life we haven't lived, who has died the death we deserve, who has risen again so we can have hope in life now and life forever. And so we look at the Gospels and we see redemption there. And we see hope there in Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden the Old Testament makes sense because it doesn't make any sense apart from Jesus. And then we're, we're given now more hope because the Bible ends with a promised restoration. So in all of our demo days, when we're like, I don't know if this is ever, if we're ever going to get the backsplash up, you know, like, no, there's final restoration. 
New heavens, new earth, no more sin, no more suffering, no more tears, no more brokenness, and it's going to be amazing. And so he's saying, there is hope there. You want to know about eternity? That's where it ends. And so we're like, okay, how do I have hope today? What am I supposed to do today? Well, you remember where you are in the story, that we are between the redemption that comes in Jesus Christ, that is ours, that is secure, that we can hold on to, and the future hope of restoration that is to come. And so that's why, like, it does get wonky, and I, I hope Aaron doesn't do this, I, I don't know, but like, like, when pastors are like, hey, Jesus is coming back tomorrow, I got a chart, did you hear what's happening in Israel? Like, okay, everybody go crazy, like, it's going to happen, like, maybe... Put in a calendar reminder in your phone. Did Jesus come back today? Yes, no, right? But like, we're not supposed to be fixated on that because God's given us this season today. All of us live in the Puget Sound in 2021. This is the time and season that God has for you. This is the place that God has for you. This is the people that God has for you. This is the church that God has for you. The church here in Snohomish County is what's here to point people to that hope in their brokenness and in their despair. The hope that can only be found in Jesus. As people are looking for for purpose and meaning in seasons, we say there is one who is above the sun who is orchestrating all of this. We've got to move on because we're going to go over time. Last verses as we close. This is where we get to Jesus. So like I said, Ecclesiastes is a journey that gets us to Jesus. Verses 14 and 15. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it, so that people fear before him or revere. That which has already been and that which will be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away, or God pursues what is separate. God answers our eternal longing with enduring satisfaction. God answers our eternal longing with enduring satisfaction so that we keep looking for these temporary solutions and wonder why we're not satisfied. See, the preacher in Ecclesiastes, Solomon, is saying, no, I I know where satisfaction is found. I know where hope is found. And when it says, I perceive, that's actually a word that's like, I know. I've seen. I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And so it's, it's a word not of like, ah, I'm kind of observing. It's actually a word of conviction, of resolve. I know that I can rest in God's character. Why? He says, because unlike anything that we're able to accomplish, he says what God does is, number one, permanent. Whatever God does, God does forever. And yes, this applies to judgment there's a day that is coming for judgment. Like, it's a, it's a bad word in a lot of cycles, but, but yes, there's a, a day that you die and you're going to face judgment. And that judgment is for eternity. And his mercy is for eternity as well. And his grace is for eternity as well. And so if God has saved you, if you know God in Jesus Christ, then you can rest knowing that it lasts forever. You don't have to get a third booster shot of grace from the Lord. Amen? Okay. Moderna, maybe. All right. Oh, I'm going to get in trouble. Okay. Number two, what God does is complete, meaning nothing that we do adds to it or can be taken away from it. That means that as we live our lives and we're walking in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you're not trying to earn your salvation. 
Nothing that you do adds to the work of God. Jesus Christ on the cross didn't get up there nailed and say, I've done some stuff, now you all take it from here. What did he say? It is finished. It's complete. He's done it all. So we can rest in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. And then finally, it's secure. No one can come and take what God has granted or done, and none of it, it says, will be eroded away. And so our destination is not desolation when it leads to Jesus Christ. Rather, our destination is peace. And so I want to leave you guys with some hope in Jesus as, as we go Because sometimes I think we can think, oh man, God's overall seasons, that seems very fatalistic, that there's a God in control, I want to be in control of what's going on, but we we get so overwhelmed and we need to find rest. And so this last phrase in Ecclesiastes 15, God seeks what has been driven away, actually can also translate to he pursues what has been separate. Sin is what has separated us from God. And the good news in that separation is that God pursues us in Jesus Christ. That Romans 5, 6 says this, while we were still weak or while we were still sinners, while we were separate from God, at the right time, right time for all seasons, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, for those who are separate. That's all of us. Number two, Jesus came and died and lives and he saves and this is our time for Jesus. Mark 1, 15 opens up and it says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And so when you think about that, that bird song, turn, 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 right? Like, the, turn, turn, turn's not in Ecclesiastes 3. But almost all of the rest of the song is just straight out of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, except this one last lyric that ends the song. And the song ends with, if you ever listen to it, it's still on Spotify. It says, I swear it's not too late. And I don't know whether they were following Jesus. It was the 60s, maybe they were on acid. But this end of this song is a call to repentance. Turn, turn, turn. I swear it's not too late. Because we are in between the time of our birth and the time of our death. And so if you came in today, and like you know, like that's the Holy Spirit of God that brought you in to a church today if you don't know Jesus. And it's your day to turn, 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 to repent of sin and to trust Jesus. And if you're like, no, no, I've I've been around the block. I've been in a few churches. You know, I'm here. I, I love Jesus. Like, I, that's, that's, that salvation message, you know, that, that's great. I need something a little more than that. Well, that's great. Because we need to anchor ourselves in something that doesn't change or, and to keep from being overwhelmed. And so, if you've been walking with Jesus for a minute or for decades, we need something that is anchored in all circumstances that doesn't change because everything else is changing, guys. And Hebrews 13.8 says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So while God's put eternity into our hearts, if he's put Jesus into your heart, then that means he's there for eternity. He's there forever. It doesn't change. And when our kingdoms are shaken, and they are shaken, God is unshakable. Hebrews 12.28, Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship, reverence, and awe. This is our time to turn from sin. This is our time to rest in the God who is over all circumstances and seasons and and just, guys, to, to just live lives with gratitude and worship as we simply trust Jesus.
Let's pray. God, you are good to us. You are good for us. Lord, I thank you for this people in this place and this space. Lord, I don't, I don't know the stories of the people in this room, but you do. So Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would speak to them where they are at. Lord, that you would give them hope where they need hope. You'd give them endurance where they need endurance. You'd give them conviction where they need conviction. That you would give them comfort where they need comfort. Most of all, Holy Spirit, I pray that for everyone in this room, you would fill them with the knowledge and the love and the security and the hope that comes from knowing your son Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.